Hello and welcome back to the Game Changer podcast. In today's episode, I've been lucky enough to be joined by BBC broadcaster and football correspondent John Murray. Within this episode, we'll talk about his experiences as a commentator, the process he took to get in his dream job, as well as his favourite games and tournaments he's been assigned to. This is a great episode for any sports fan. I hope you enjoy it and let's get started. Welcome back to the Game Changer podcast. Today we have BBC commentator John Murray who will be joining us. John, welcome onto the podcast. Hi Jordan. You alright? How are you coping with lockdown at the minute? Well, not too bad actually. Um, it, it's turned out to be, when it started, I just sort of saw months stretching ahead of me and was wondering mm-hmm. what I was going to do to, to fill the time. But in actual fact, it's turned out to be you know, quite busy in a very different sort of way. There have been lots of things that I've done. I've done, yeah. I've done you know, a huge number of podcasts like this one that I wouldn't, <laughs> normally, that I wouldn't normally be doing. There have been lots of BBC stuff to do you know, in terms of where things are with the resumption of football because you know, that's a picture that's changed every day. And in actual fact, a couple of weeks ago, well, two or three weeks ago, when it became apparent that things were going to head to the Premier League starting again, it suddenly yeah. occurred to me that at the point this summer or the point in the year where I would normally take my holiday, that mm-hmm. if everything goes okay, then the football is going to run right through that. So it suddenly occurred to me that I'm going to need to take a couple of weeks holiday and a couple of weeks off. So I've done that for the last couple of weeks. So, um, yeah. so I'm just about ready, really. Once, <laughs> just once, about once, ready once, for once, once we get another couple of weeks away, I'll be ready for it to start. <laughs> so do you want to briefly explain what you do for those who don't know you and, uh, and how long you've been doing it for? Yeah, uh, BBC Sports Broadcaster. Uh, my, my actual BBC title is, is Football Correspondent, which means that uh, I commentate on, well, all the big games, really, on, on, on Radio 5 Live. I'll do a little bit of Match of the Day work during the year as well, so I'll do a handful of those matches, which is a very different thing. But, uh, but the radio and football is my stock in trade, and that's what I spend sort of 90 percent of my working year doing but there's a little bit of variety in there as well so i cover uh, i cover a bit of golf um i've done various i've dipped into various other sports over the years been involved in the olympics commonwealth games um mm-hmm. so there's there's quite a lot of variety in there but it, it's football that's that is my bread and butter as we would say <laughs> um, we'll definitely touch upon some of that later on in the podcast and the events and matches that you've got uh, done most recently and um, so taking it all the way back to the very beginning what was your background before starting commentary well my background uh, very much like your history as well is in uh, hill farming in northumberland and yeah. uh, you know before before I branched out in a different direction, I mean, the, the family is just generation after generation after generation after generation of farmers. So, um, you know, my, my family background was I was the youngest of four boys and there's only so much work on a, on a hill farm in Northumberland. Uh, so I think from quite an early stage, you know, certainly my mother suggested that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really off in a different and think about some something else 
Um, and I don't think I, I necessarily had that that love and connection with farming that yeah. most of my family do. Um, and I had a great interest in sport. And I worked out fairly early on that uh, you know if I wanted to pursue that, I would need to do something like I'm doing now, mm-hmm. rather than playing it because I wasn't good enough. You know, I knew that from from quite a young age. So yeah. it was it was quite a clear path really from quite an early age that I wanted to get into this, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Yeah, spot on. So was there anything specific that made you choose the career that you wanted to pursue later on in life? Well, it, uh, you know, I, I had a, a love and an interest for a whole wide range of sports when I was growing up, but particularly football, particularly cricket as well. Cricket is a yeah. is great love of mine. And, um, you know, the, the, at that time, and we're talking here, late 80s early 90s you know it was the it was the football that was the obvious route to go down and that's where most of the opportunities lay you know that was a great starting point to to get into that but you know it's quite a complicated route in that i mean i did geography at university so i did my schooling did my did my degree which was geography but all of the while was doing little bits and pieces of work experience and going into radio stations, went into Metro Radio in Newcastle, went to the Hexham Courant in, in Hexham just to see how things worked. And little mm-hmm. bits of experience, did hospital radio in Hexham actually as well uh, with a friend of mine from school who, who was really, he was the one that was, that was interested in that. And I tagged along, but it turned, yeah. that, proved to be, that proved to be incredibly useful for me in terms of actually getting into the the. the well, certainly the, the course that I did in radio journalism, which was what I did as a one-year postgrad, the mm-hmm. fact that I'd, that I'd done that and shown an interest and shown a bit of willing. Um, and then went from, straight from there into local radio. So I was specialising in news and sport to begin with, sort of um, a, a wider remit. And then over the years, specialised into sport and then into football. And similarly, I did lots of production as well as broadcasting. Uh, and then found my way into commentary. So it was a case of it was a case of narrowing it all down, really, as, yeah, the, as the years went by. Yeah, sounds sounds a lot what the process I'm currently in myself as well, uh, which I feel I can relate to a bit in terms of the steps that you've taken. Um, obviously, it's different. You went down different uh, routes to what I am currently doing, but it does sounds like I can link to that a lot. So along that line of you going down, getting as much experience as you can, has anyone had an important role to play so far in your journey? Is there anyone that's like really inspired you to go on and obviously be a football commentator, et cetera? Yeah, I would say certainly the, the people that I worked with in, in my early days, the news editors that I worked with, both in commercial radio and BBC local radio. I think the producer that uh, that I, I worked with, colleague Charlotte Nickel, who was um, she she worked with me in commercial radio on Teesside at TFN, and she went on to become a football producer at uh, Abuser Radio in London, mm-hmm. and and that proved to be very useful to me. And she 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 did sort of push me into doing commentary in the first place, and then she moved on to London, and uh, when when I eventually made my move to London into the to, to the radio sports department i had a, a, an important ally there in charlotte who knew yeah. that i could commentate because she worked with me in local radio and therefore encouraged me to um encourage my development 
mm-hmm. on a on a national media basis as well. So so I certainly owe a, a great deal to her, but all, you know, the family as well. A lot of a lot of support from from the family and and friends and you know also the people I've worked with as well. Uh, it's quite a I think people who are involved in in sports journalism and sports broadcasting you know do have an awful lot in common because the the reason that the qualities and the reasons for getting into it that I've already explained to you are are pretty much the same across the scale Mm -hmm. and people do generally have a great commitment to work in sports broadcasting and sports journalism so there are some great role models that I've worked with and alongside over the years that have also been very inspiring yeah definitely um recently i've most found that myself as well that um surrounding yourself with the right people can definitely encourage you to go and pursue the careers as well i feel like experience can only take you so far in the world it's all about which i've most found coming out my degree networking and finding the best people who i can take the best tips and advice off who i can then go on and pursue my career too yeah. Um, in, so, the, in, in the end, John, you've got to do it yourself, haven't you? You know, yeah, you, totally. You, you have it, you've got to make take the steps yourself and find mm-hmm. out that you can do it. And that you know, I, I found that taking a step from broadcasting and reporting on you know, on matches for me to taking the the step into commentary was a was a big difference, a big step to take because you can only practice that so much. You know, you have to you have to make that move to actually step into. What is an unscripted performance of, if it's a football match, of 90 minutes where you mm-hmm. just have to, you have to describe what you're seeing and you can only get better at that by A, taking the plunge in the first place and then B, yeah. doing it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, totally. So obviously if you're being at the BBC now, how did you get actually involved in that job? Uh, was it other people that you knew through networking? and? Upon arrival at the BBC, can you remember what were your first ever opportunities on that job? Because I can imagine that being very interesting, obviously, going to work for the BBC, being, I don't know if you were young when you first joined, and enthusiastic and obviously looking to get the best experiences at the BBC. What, what was it? What was, how did you get involved with that? Yeah, well, I'm still I'm still enthusiastic, even at even at my age <laughs> now. You know, it's a great, it's a great, you know, it, honestly, John, it's it's still. I still absolutely love it. You know, I still, you know, every every match that I do now, every tournament that I go to, I'm as excited now to to go to, you know, Euro 2020 or mm-hmm. next year, as it'll be now, as I was to go to the first tournament that I went to when I went to the World Cup in '98. Um, the, I mean, I started out. I did my first four or five years. So I went straight from straight from university into my postgrad. Did a one year postgrad at Darlington Radio Journalism then went straight from there into local radio because a couple of the local news editors were, were, were our tutors on the course there. Yeah. So I got a job straight into, into commercial radio, did that for four or five years. That was a great grounding. And then I did have that, I did have that route. You know, I've, I'd, I'd always had that ambition to work for the BBC and to get into the BBC mm-hmm. because, you know, I was, I was schooled really when I was growing up, all of the, all of the top sport was on the BBC in those days. This was pre-Sky. Uh, and I mean, we were very lucky when I was growing up in that all of the big events, the, the big sporting events were all free to air. 
you know, we could we could watch we could watch, we could sit down and watch a test match. We could sit down and watch the golf. We could, and yeah, you name it, Grand Prix. It was all free to air, and most of it was on the BBC. So that was that was quite a for me. That was quite a carrot to, to go and work for the BBC because it meant a lot to me. So I, w- I moved into I did a year in BBC local radio on Teesside, uh, and then made my move to the, the to the BBC nationally. And um, you know, I remember. One of the first things I did when I moved into the BBC, and I'd, I'd moved there uh, into local radio, BBC Radio Cleveland, as it was at the time. And one of the first jobs I was given was, it was Tony Blair was announcing that he was standing to become the leader of the Labour Party. And his constituency was Sedgefield, which was in the, which was in the Radio Cleveland broadcasting area. It was a Saturday morning. And I was sent off there to, to cover that. And it felt at the time like, well, obviously it was a big deal nationally. It was a big deal historically because that was the, the start of the route for Tony Blair. But it was an important day for me as well to go along and cover that um, in, in the, the way that I, that, that I did. Uh, I mean, I was pretty much doing it as a one-man band, I remember at the time. But, um, you know, you can't, you cannot, you cannot buy experiences like that totally. and you know getting it's all about getting yourself into into a position to get experience like that you know it's a, it's um as one of my first news editors said to me he said that he said in this business it is very much a roller coaster that one week you are up and one week you're down which yeah. is a real it's a real cliche that but it's it's so true and you just have to, you just have to ride with the experiences and get the get what you can out of it. It's, it's like any other walk of life. Yeah. So going into that first uh, specific job you got, how did you feel, and how does that, how does it relate to how you usually feel now in terms of covering an event or a game? So when you got your first assigned task, was did you feel a lot different going into that task, nervous, whatever? And then how does it compare to when you do an event now? Mm. I think the difference is that you build up a bank of experience and you're able to work off those. As Gary Clare says when we interview him and he, it's one of his favourites, he says, memories, memories, he says, I tell you, I tell you, memories are the cushions of life. And I think it's a brilliant phrase that, however yeah. you look at it, whether it's, whether it's emotionally or socially or in a working sense. I think the memories that you have and the experience that you have um, help you to believe that you, you're able to do whatever the next task is. Mm-hmm. And, and so I often think if there's a challenging, if there's going to be a challenging uh, job or match or commentary or situation that I've got, you know, now having done it for the years that I have, you know, 30 years, then I think, well, if I dealt with, if I dealt with that and I dealt with that and I dealt with that and that turned out all right, then I'm sure I'm going to be able to, to deal with this. But mm-hmm. I think I find as well what happens is that you do, you know, it's, it's human, it's natural, you do make mistakes. And, and when, you, you, when you're dealing in, in, as we do for most of my, my time, live broadcasting, things go wrong and things happen and um, yeah. you, you know, mistakes get made and it's just, it's just part of life. And 
what you try to do is make as few mistakes as possible and yeah, learn absolutely. from the mistakes that you do make and get get better at what you're doing and do more of do more of the good things and less of the bad things I totally agree with that. And what you what you more or less touched upon is obviously going outside of your comfort zone and trying to be pursued, obviously, the best career you possibly can. Because I feel like, especially for myself, I don't know about you, um, you as a person as well, but I don't want to look back on my life and think of chances or opportunities that I've neglected or just didn't want to do because I didn't feel comfortable doing it or the 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 nerve of the unknown of go what might that outcome be will it be successful will it be unsuccessful and I feel like that's what um is the fine line between the great and the not so great of pursuing every opportunity and chance you might mm. get regardless of if you fail or not you've got to take your learning experience and then like you say build the experience up and then the more experience you get the more you learn as well and taking the positives and learning from your negatives or mistakes or failures, as some may say, and then keep building on top of that. I feel like once you keep building and building, the higher the tower. While if you don't want to build, then you're always going to stay at that level, aren't you? So, mm-hmm. yeah, to- totally agree with what you say. Um, so, do you know when you, you're going for a match day um, or a test series or any event that you might do, um, do you just want to describe or outline your typical day uh, before, during the event, and then after the event, just for those who are really interested in that? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for for a, for a match, for for a football match, I will do about a day's preparation. I would say, in terms of note making, just putting things down on paper, um, mm-hmm. spending a little bit of time on each of the players who I think will be involved in the match. And, and having what for me now is an established um, set of notes that I will take to a match. And I think that's mm-hmm. the same for most football commentators. They will do that. Um, I generally know two or three weeks in advance, generally, which matches I'm going to be covering. Um, so, you know, like for the resumption of the Premier League, so where we are now. I would yeah. expect I will I'll know which matches I'm going to do fairly soon for the first two or three rounds of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that means that you can begin to think about, you know, if I know that I'm going to be covering Norwich City against Manchester United, for example, yeah. I can I can, you know, just begin to put it, put together a few thoughts and but I tend to do most of the bulk of my preparation just in the immediate advance because I, I find that if I get too far ahead it's the classic taking one game at a time really I find yeah. if I get too far ahead if, I, if I'm doing a game on Saturday and doing a game on Sunday I find if I'm doing a game on the that sometimes I can't I can just get, it, it, it all sort of melds into one so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do that as I go along. So it means that very often I'll cram a lot in in a short space of time, but you know, that's the system that I use. And I, I find that I find that as a football commentator, you know, you can imagine there's a lot of information, a lot of names, a lot of information, there are a lot of facts. And I find that it, I, you know, it gets shoved in one ear and out the other, you know, <laughs> it, it, I, I churn it out. And if you ask me about, if you ask me about a match, you know, maybe that I've covered a fortnight ago, I would yeah. need the notes. I would need the notes just to remind me what happened there. And, and so I do do it over and over and over again. 
So, John, do you do your own research all the time so you yeah. don't rely on the BBC? Is it just you going out, finding what you can? Yeah, I mean, we do get, we do get, we do get help. You know, there, there, you can get, there's so many places you, these days you can yeah, get information totally. from. But as I always say, uh, you know, it's any young commentators or people who are trying to get into this and, and want to advance themselves as a broadcaster or a commentator, you know, that, that, all that information is, is freely available. And I do a lot of my own as well. I keep my own records. I keep, my own, mm-hmm. you know, for all of the Premier League teams and, and um, you, you know, various other sides, teams in the Championship, Rangers and Celtic, I tend to do as well, the international teams. And I work off that as well, which is quite an important part for me of what I do. Um, because I know I know where the, all that information is, and I know how to use that. It's in a format yeah. that I'll. Um, but I do feel now that if you told me to go and commentate on Manchester City against um, Aston Villa, I I know that I could go there with the minimum. I could go there with the minimum and not do that preparation, and I could still do a decent job. I feel I can yeah. do a better job. I can do a better job if I've done all the preparation that I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I say, the point I was going to make was that I say to, to young commentators, really, all that's freely available. All that information, the factual information is freely available. What comes from the individual is what comes out of their head, the phrases they use uh, on radio, the imagination that they use on radio, the pictures that they paint, um, mm-hmm. the way that they're able to describe what's happening, the experiences that you have, what you draw on. Uh, I feel that is just as important, if not a little bit more important than the um, the factual side of things. Yeah, definitely. So during the game, um, is it just more or less describing the outcome of what happens? Do you do you get carried away with that at all? Because uh, I can imagine if I was commentating, like a lot of football fans, especially if it's a side that you're definitely rooting for, does, is it a lot harder to maintain your professional image, more or less, and especially when you're broadcasting? Well, you, you know, it's one of the things that has been and is drummed into us, really. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. in the BBC, the impartiality thing is important. Yet at the same time, you know, if it's a European match, for example, if it's a Champions League game and it's, it's, a, it's a Premier League club against uh, you know, a foreign team, you know, you've got to be realistic. You know that most of the people who are listening to that, most of the people, will will want the Premier League team to to win that game. I think, yeah. generally speaking, that would be the case. I think if it's an international match, you know, if I'm at a World Cup or a European Championship and you, you're covering England, you know that most of the people who are listening will want England to win. So therefore, mm-hmm. I think you can, I think you can, you can reflect that. You can reflect that, but at the same time, there has to be a sort of editorial impartiality that, that you keep. But that doesn't mean, you know, I am English. I am English. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my early memories, my early memories of getting into football were watching international football, watching England. And so my own personal feelings are that I would, you know, you've got, to, you've got, to, you've got to balance your own personal feelings when you're watching a team like England at a World mm-hmm. Which is which is which is not easy to do. You know, when England were doing well in Russia, that was a real that was a real challenge to to find the right sort of balance. But also, you know, you want you want to do that well because it's England at a World Cup. That 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 mm-hmm. has an extra 
you want to do it justice. If England are doing well at a World Cup, you want to do that justice. You want to find the right words, the right phrases. You want to be able to, to put across the feeling of what it is like being there and what's happening. Yeah, so do you have any, when you're commentating, do you have any specific style? Like, has that changed over the years? Or have you yeah, just tried to be yourself on the microphone, really? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I know what it is because I've, I've listened to so much commentary over the years, you know, when I was growing up. I think you just naturally, I think, I think that, you know, people who are interested in sport will know what they like and what they don't like from a commentator and and what it is they're expecting to hear. And so mm-hmm. over, the, over all the years, whether it was listening to TV commentaries, radio commentaries, you know, you'd pick, I'd pick things up. And similarly, I pick things up from the people I work with, the other commentators that I work with, that I listen to. And, and so I, I think without consciously doing that, you develop your own style. And yeah. you think, you know, I always think, what am I? basically what i tried to do is i tried to commentate in a way that i would like to listen to mm-hmm. so you know commentary whether it's radio or tv certainly on radio which is where i do most of my work it's quite a it is very basic when you think about it you are just saying what you see and mm-hmm. it's it's all about doing that making sure you do the basics which isn't which again applies to whatever field you're in you need to do the basics well and properly uh, and sometimes that's, you know, you can easily forget to do that. Making a good commentary is putting the layers on that and layer after layer after layer after layer. So you make the whole thing something that is, you would like to think, an entertaining listen. So that's that's the challenge. So after the games, what what do you do to, like, cool down, I would say, after what might have been a very important game that's been successful and obviously the team you might have been rooted for or unsuccessful in terms of when England got knocked out of the World Cup. How do you cool down after commentating more or less? Well, domestically, there's usually a long drive home involved or, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stay, there's a lot of staying away from home as well, uh, mm-hmm. which, which again is part of the job. Uh, it tends to be quite a, you know we have we have quite a social um you know we have a quite a, quite a good social situation between us all because mm-hmm. we tend to travel in small teams certainly on the radio um yeah. you'll meet up with the same people there's there's you know pretty good camaraderie between us uh certainly at tournaments when you're traveling together you know it can be it can be great fun actually doing that that's one of the mm-hmm. one of the things i enjoy but there's a lot of time on your own as well so i spend a lot of time say after the matches um i spend a lot of time traveling to matches and then traveling away from matches where i will very often think about i spend a lot of time thinking um that's part of my preparation as well really is you spend a lot of time thinking about how it's going to go what, what's going to happen in the match what, what what sort of things you might want to be talking about and then similarly afterwards you know it's like it's like playing there's a there's yeah. a lot of it that is like playing a sport and playing a match and playing a game in that afterwards you'll think what it is that I could have done better, what it is that, that didn't go so well. And, mm-hmm. and I, I find, I mean, a friend of mine once said to me, and it's very, very true, in that it is like playing in that if you play a season of football, you'll probably find that 80% of the time it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, either, it's, either, it's either better than average 
below average. It's somewhere in that middle ground. There's 10% where you think that's gone well today. You know, it's, it's really worked well. And then there's another 10% at the bottom where you think, no, for whatever reason, it hasn't worked well. And it's like that with, it's like that with commentary as well. Yeah, so do you know how you touched upon beforehand your preparation? Is there anything that you do psychological that to, to calm nerves? Because I can imagine going into a stadium at like Wembley, for example, I would be quite nervous if I was commentating on such an important game, one slip up or uh, you, pr- you say something wrong or a wrong fact or can't pronounce someone's name for example in such a game when loads of people are listening how do you mentally prepare for them situations because I can imagine like you say it is like a footballer preparing for their performance but obviously yours is in a very different structure I think that it again you just you just fall back on the fact that you've been there before I've done it yeah. before you know I've done, I've done Craggy, you know, commentator on a World Cup final, Champions League finals, you know, big games, championship deciders. I, I think that, I think more so when I was younger, but I don't particularly remember being terribly nervous, more just sort of excited about it and mm-hmm. excited by the challenge of, of trying to do it well. And I like the control, you know, you've, particularly on radio, I feel that when, it, when it's handed to you, there are there are a world of opportunities where you can go with that but it's yours you know i'm talking to you now on a lip mic and i love working with a lip mic because i feel like i feel like that's the link that's the link you know when i pick up a lip mic and put it to my to my face that i'm in control there you know it's all coming from me and so i can go where i'm i'm in control you know that's 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 how it is and i've got my summarizer and i've got the match in front of me and um you know i'm excited about the situation and yet you can you know you you can get to a position where sometimes in matches there's so much going on that you that you have that feeling like right i don't want to miss anything here but i think through instinct i think through instinct you are aware you know you become more alive and more aware when it's a when it's a big game when it's a key game and um, you know, just through experience, you you sort of know the the right areas that you want to go into, which doesn't mean to say that you necessarily always go into those areas. Yeah, but um, you know you know the right places to go to, and that nerve, you know, that nervous energy and nervous excitement is, is a good nervous energy. Yeah. So, has there been any moments when you've been commentating with someone else, which you? Uh, can remember for the right or wrong reasons. Um, so has there any been any standout moments for yourself when commenting? With, with, uh, with a summarizer. Uh, yeah. With your, with your expert on side. I think, you know, do you know, I think what I, what I like, uh, I mean, we use some, we use some great people. that uh, the type of characters that we have sitting alongside us sometimes you know i'll be i'll be amazed at some of the people that we end up working with that you think i never expected that i work with <laughs> with these people 
you know, whoever it is, you know, whether it's Robbie Savage, for example, I mean, I'd never, I would never have expected Robbie being the player that he was and the sort of character and the individual that he was. I would never have expected him to end up sitting alongside me. And some of the, you know, some of the great names, people like Alan Shearer, Peter Schmeichel, when you, when you work with those types of guys, um, you know, you just want to get as much as you can out of them because, because of the experiences that they've got. Um, mm -hmm. That what I like is when it works well is where you're able to strike that balance and you're able to draw, you're able to, so you want a good game, first of all. You want something riding on it. You want a little bit of space within the game, and you want you want to be able to get the best out of your your summarizer as well. So when all of those things go together, those are the best days. Those are the those are the days where you think, yeah, that's 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 what I'm looking for. And then, of course, the converse to that is where you don't you feel like you haven't done it justice, and you haven't got the best out of the summarizer, you know. And but but that yeah. it happens. Yeah. So out of the games most recent and over the years that you've commentated on, which have been your most favourites? Because I can imagine you've definitely commentated on some very interesting games. And out of all of them, which one would yeah, you say you've been the most favourite? Yeah, love doing the games at the tournaments. Um, you know, the last two tournaments, uh, even though I've done this for a long time, it was only the last two uh, tournaments of so the World Cup in 2018, the Euros in 2016, when I was covering England. Uh, and I mean, that game against Iceland in France was incredible for all of the wrong reasons. The run in Russia was was amazing for all of the right reasons. Uh, you know, the penalty mm -hmm. shootout against Colombia was certainly one night when I felt very different for the reasons I was saying earlier. Just, you know, so much wrapped up in, in that. And the fact yeah. that it went down to the penalty shootout. I also had Chris Waddle sitting next to me for uh, on that night. You know, Chris who had his own, um, you know, memories and experiences of, of, of a penalty shootout at, a, at Italia '90. Gareth Southgate standing down there on the touchline. You know, having missed the penalty Euro '96. Just yeah. the fact that we're watching England in a, in a penalty shootout at the World Cup, which could obviously go either way. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a great game. It was a really ugly game, but yeah, uh, an, an amazing night. An amazing night to remember, but I mean, so so many. I mean, we're very fortunate in that. I mean, some of the Champions League matches that we see, it, you know, every season, it's amazing how that that competition just carries on delivering. That mm -hmm. final in Kiev between Liverpool and Real Madrid is, I mean, incredible. The things that went on in that game, and and you know, I I find again, even though I've done it for all these years, you know, I'll still turn up and see matches like that where you think I can't believe what's happened there. I cannot believe that all that has happened in one game. Um, so they're the ones that you enjoy, you know, the ones that have really got things on, on the line. And that's why I love the World Cup and the Euros, but certainly the World Cup, when, when every match you go, you go to pretty much has, is so important for all of the people in that country that are interested in football. Yeah, and you always feel it. You always feel it, whatever it is. You know, I, mean, I remember at my first World Cup in '98 being sent to cover Tunisia against Colombia, which on the face of it was one of those games where you think, you know, going, as I say, going to my first World Cup thinking, all right, well, I've got, I know I'm going to be doing that match and that match and that match. And then there's Tunisia, Colombia. And I remember going out being absolutely blown away by the atmosphere and the feeling around that game and thinking, do you know what, this, this really is what it's all about, you know, mm -hmm. covering up the match by that. 
So in terms, you've just touched upon it there, what I was going to ask you, what, what ground do you think is the best one you've been to in terms of experience when you've been commentating? Honestly, there are so many. Um, gosh, the, I mean, the one that the particularly comes to mind, just I was watching it on the television the other day, was the Bruce Dortmund ground when mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Dortmund playing by Munich. And I mean, Munich itself as well. I mean, that's an, ama- that's an amazing place to go watch football. The atmosphere can be brilliant in there, the Allianz Arena. Dortmund, mm. though, is, uh, I mean, it's a fantastic place to go and watch football. And I was thinking about it because obviously we were watching the game behind closed doors where there are no supporters in there. And it was, it was totally different. What a, what, a, what a difference that is to not have that atmosphere behind you, I think, for Borussia yeah. Dortmund. I'm, I'm not surprised that that, uh, that that would make a difference. But also, you know, you go to, I mean, I love going to the European grounds uh, that, that, some of the some of the places in southeastern Europe, whether it's Greece or the, you know anywhere else in the Balkans, I mean, you've got there, and sometimes it just blows you away. Istanbul, I mean, Prague um, is is something else. Um, but again, you know, similarly, similarly, I love just as much when you go to a non-league game in the FA Cup and you see yeah. a giant killing. That's a that's a Oh, I could imagine the atmosphere there being amazing. That's a, that's a yeah, it is. So it's very, very difficult to pick one out. It, it, it generally tends to depend on the, the match, really. The match creates the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So in terms of topics right now, what's happening on in sport, more specifically football, what's your thoughts and opinions on the Premier League returning to play behind closed doors, do you, how do you think it'll affect the teams, especially those who are potentially going to suffer relegation? Do you think there'll be any long-term problems from going behind closed doors, do you think? Well, potentially, yeah. And I think that, you know, that's very well documented, whether it, whether it's, whether it's, whether you're talking about a legal challenge from clubs Mm-hmm. or whether you're talking about potential injuries to players, or whether you're talking about the, the mental side of things. However, I do believe that it is the, the best worst scenario. Now, listen, whether it's the right thing to do in terms of the, the, the health of all involved, we'll only yeah. find that out when things, when things unfold over the course of the next couple of months or so. Mm-hmm. But they're doing, clearly, they're doing all they can to try and make it as safe as possible. And um, I think that it is the best, worst scenario. I really don't like the idea of ending the season. I really don't like the idea of sorting it out on on points per game, whether that's weighted or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it's not ideal playing it out behind closed doors. But I think, I think if you can manage to find some way of, of playing the game and playing the matches to decide... The, the season that has always for me been the the best way possible so how have you been told how all of it will affect you or do, do you still go to the stadium and operate in a uh, small team that you might be in but do you need to make any changes to your routine that you might have well i mean as we talk now i'm i'm expecting that we're going to find this over the course of the next few days and mm-hmm. uh, i know that the BBC are anxious that they need to sign it off. So clearly and rightly, up to now, the priority has been to sort things out for the teams that are involved 
uh, yeah. and all of the, the various staff surrounding that. And then one of the, the other things that they're looking at is how the media fit into that. So mm-hmm. we've got an idea. We've got an idea of how things will work. And I think that the Bundesliga is working as a template for that. And um, you know, clearly the media have, have been involved inside the stadium there. And that is the plan, I know, for, for the media, whether it's, whether it's us or, or any of the other broadcasters or, or writers. That is the plan. But it is, um, it, is, it is still at the point of being formulated. But I'm expecting that we will be in the grounds, certainly for the matches that we're commentating on, and that we will be socially distanced. So you know, normally I'm yeah. sitting right there with the, my summariser, the engineer and the producer, um, sometimes the presenter, but we will, I guess, be doing that with the, the minimum number of people that it, mm-hmm. it's possible to do that with. And obviously we'll be, we'll be sitting some distance apart. Yeah, excellent. So just rounding off the whole podcast episode now, um, what advice would you have for other people wanting to pursue a career within the um, football commentary world? What would, would you do? Would you have done anything differently? Well, I would have done lots of things differently. Um, certainly in my schooling, uh, you know, lots, lots of decisions that I look back on now that I think, well, were they the right decisions? They probably weren't the right decisions. I should have done something differently. However, mm-hmm. things did turn out. You know, I ended up, I ended up in the end where I wanted to get to. And you yeah. know, as I say, I find what I do now is still, uh, even after doing it for decades, enormously satisfying and fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it's all about just getting on the ladder in the right place and yeah and getting those first few steps are so important so the the step that actually gets you into it in the first place is the most difficult step to take and, mm-hmm. and once you've done that once you've got once you've got your foot in the door then it's up to you you know you can through, through whatever means that you use. And I think attitude is very important as well. To, to have the right attitude can take you a heck of a long way. Just be willing, really. Be willing to do whatever. Be willing to, to make a few sacrifices and to take a few extra steps can, can help to, to get you along the way to where you want to be. Um, but I know it's difficult. I know, those, I know those early steps can be really, really difficult to take. And... You know, people might be in a position where they think, "I'm not. I don't see how it's going to work out." But you just have to be persistent, and you need a bit of luck as well. Yeah. So along that route of obviously getting on, like you say, getting on the ladder, getting the first two steps. Did you experience any failures or doubts, and what did you what did you learn from them, and how did you react to them in terms of keep climbing up the ladder? Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, this was in the days before social media when I was doing my first commentary. But I remember receiving, there was one letter, got one letter, which was a, a critical letter after the first country that I did, that really put me off, you know, really, really gave me a knock. And I wasn't terribly confident about doing it in the first place. And I sort of felt that I'd been, I'd been encouraged into doing it before I was ready. So yeah. then to get one, one letter to, that sort of endorsed what I felt, that I hadn't been ready, was quite a knock, really. And, um, however, you know, I've got, I had a lot of support from, from those around me who encouraged me to do it again. So, um, 
I guess the message from that would be to, you know, to to just be persistent, just mm-hmm. be persistent, and 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 if you believe that you can you can do something, then uh, keep plugging away. Mm-hmm. So, in order to be a successful broadcaster, whatever successful may be, and um, what do you think the three key traits anyone should have? Well, I think attitude is so important. That is, that's something that yeah, I always totally. to to young would-be broadcasters, journalists, whatever it is. You know, I do. I, I talk to quite a few of them, and I say that that is that is so important. I mm-hmm. think you need you need to have a talent. I think you do need that. I think you. I think you're more likely to to make progress if you've got that natural talent and that natural ability, which is not to say that it can't be learned and it can't be developed. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like I've done, I've done a lot of that to, to get me to where I want to be. And yeah. I think importantly as well, you do need luck, but you can make your own luck as well by, by going back to A and B. I think you need to be in the right place. You need to get to know the right people. But, but sometimes that's you get that through having the right attitude in the first place. So, yeah. um, I mean, I look back all the way through my my career, and uh, you know, I've, oh. yeah, did you cut, did you cut out there? Oh yeah, just cut out slightly, but it's all right now. Yeah, because I was I had a so I'll do that again. So I look back through my career now and, and think of, I mean, there's so many places where I had fortunate breaks and, um, you know, pieces of luck that helped me to get the opportunities that I did. But you've got to be in the position to get the luck, really, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. So I always finish off my podcast with three random questions, okay? Um, so it gives, a bit, gives you a bit of thinking, especially some of the, uh, the last one, definitely, I feel like. Um, so first question, if you can change careers right this second, what would you do and why? Well, I've always loved the idea of being a postman and during postman. lockdown, yeah, and during lockdown, I've been on, I've been quite a few walks from, from where I am here in North Yorkshire and, uh, I was in a little village to live there and I saw yet again, just that little, I mean, it was a beautiful day and there was nobody there. And the postman arrives in the middle, you know, and I just think, wouldn't it be absolutely lovely being a postman in somewhere like this and just sort of, and just doing, and, and also I'd want to be a postman in the time that I remember when, you know, the postman would come into the house and have a bit of a chat. And I mean, we used to give the, we used to give the postman Christmas cake at Christmas time, you know, and all that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've, I've just always found it quite a romantic sort of job. I mean, I would, I would want to be doing, I would want to be doing my postman in the right place. Yeah, but uh, it's 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 something that I've always fancied doing. That is certainly one of the most interesting answers I've had so far. <laughs> that's for sure, definitely. <laughs> I've heard snipers, um, footballers, all sorts, but not a postman yet. So. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed that answer. Um, so what sports invention do you think will be popular in 10 to 20 years' time? Do you know, that's, that's a really tough one. And I find the best thing about sport, actually, and probably like everybody else during the lockdown, I've watched a lot of uh, archive sport. And what I like about it is that 
sports are given the chance to build up their history and it's and it's that's part of what we enjoy about it and, mm-hmm. and actually a large part of that is how much is unchanged and and you know the basics are still the same when it when it boils down to it the 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 sporting matches and the drama that we enjoy it's that that's what it is that's the essence of it, it, it yeah. it's the excitement and the, and the raw drama and raw tension and the the matching of abilities of, of two teams or individuals who are playing against each other so i think those are things that are unchanged however i think mm-hmm. the thing that in answer to the question i think you know we are we have been in a in a position where esports have, have really have really got a foothold now and I, mm-hmm. I would suspect not my area of expertise by any means but i would suspect that that's a real boom area that we'll see develop over the course of the next 10 or 20 years yeah totally i totally agree with that um so last question um, you can sit down and interview three celebrities anyone doesn't need to be sports and past or present who are you picking and why well, I'm going for I'm going for two answers on this one, and my first answer is in the in the job that I do as football correspondent for the BBC, I'm only the fourth person to have done that. So mm-hmm. there are three there are three BBC people who who did it: Brian Moore, uh, Brian Butler, and Mike Ingham. Now, Mike's the only one who's still alive, but I would love to have a scenario where it would be possible for the four of us to get together. So that's that's certainly mm-hmm. something that uh, that immediately came to mind. But if you're asking about three sportsmen. Um, I'm just reading at the moment the uh, the David Peace book about Bill Shankly, um, mm-hmm. and I, I'm I'm really enjoying just that that memory of of how things were when Bill Shankly was just starting out at Liverpool. Um, you know, I had a big rivalry and friendship with Matt Busby. Jock Steen was around at the time, another absolute giant of football management. So I, I'm I'm going to pick Matt Busby, Bill Shankly, and Jock Steen as as three great British football managers, Scottish football managers, who are no longer with us and who I think would just be absolutely fascinating to speak to. Yes, spot on. Excellent, John. Uh, Thanks very much for your time. And I'm sure a lot of people will definitely find this useful and hopefully as many people possible can listen to this and take some inspiration from it. Do do you know exactly what your Twitter username is for those who might be interested in seeing what your work is? It is at BBC John Murray. Excellent. That's spot on. Hopefully gain a couple of followers from that one yeah. and uh, more people in, uh, interested in your work. So thanks a lot, John, for coming on and really appreciate your time and effort that you've put into it. No, thanks for asking, Jordan. <laughs>